Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to I Want You to Watch This. If you are listening right now, you should go ahead and click that subscribe button, that follow button, whatever it is on your platform that you listen to podcasts on. Just go ahead and subscribe to us. Leave us a review if you're on iTunes or if your podcatcher does have a rate and review feature. Please feel free to leave us a review. We would love to hear what you have to say. And if you have any movie suggestions, you can always send us those too over on our Twitter at IWYTWT. All right, let's get ready for the show. All right, so by now, the Oscars have been decided. The, the Oscars happened. Not yes. since we've been recording this. I mean, but since we're recording this ahead, but oh, when you're really? listening to this, the Oscars happened. <laughs> so, yeah, I just want to say congratulations to uh, either Black Panther or Black Klansman for winning Best Picture. Yes. In, in a world, in a, a hopeful world. And Roma you, would also be an acceptable Roma would be choice acceptable. for me. Uh, if Green Book wins, go screw yourself, Academy. <laughs> uh, after having seen this film, I'm like, yeah, Green Book can go screw itself. Just quietly go away. Yeah, Green Book can go away. I mean, just in general, Green Book can go away, yes. but you know. Especially in comparison to other, other films this year. Oh, uh, well, yeah. So, yeah, we are coming at you with Best Picture nomination, maybe winner at this point. Who knows? Uh, I hope. Maybe, I feel like maybe at least Best Director. Like At least Best Director. Yes, yeah, Spike I mean, Lee and... I'm not super, I don't have like a whole lot of experience with Spike Lee's films. Um, I've seen like Crooklyn. Uh, Is that the only one? I've I've seen maybe one other when I was like a young, young child, but I don't really remember if I have seen any other ones. I haven't seen any uh, in my like adulthood, Mm -hmm. uh, which I feel is, you know, a glaring error (laughs) and a glaring omission (laughs) on my part, but... Um, yeah, there's a lot of movies out there, and you know I haven't seen them all. <laughs> we we might have to do Inside Man on this show because that's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, so we have we're doing a Black Klansman. Um, this is my second time seeing it. Um, I saw it like when it first came out, um, and actually got to be a part of the. We're doing like the live mm-hmm. screening of uh, Spike Lee's Q and A. Um, Right before the movie. Now I want to know. I mean, he's kind of talked uh, in general. I don't remember like everything that was said. Um, It was again like when the movie first came out. But um, yeah, he was just kind of talking about uh, you know the story that he was trying to tell in regards to um, you know the prevalence and how. Uh, and how much this translates to today? Yeah, to today. Yeah, how <laughs> how nothing has changed? Yeah and, yeah, and I mean, like you know, it's very clear. Like that was his intention through this movie, um, which you know, as we'll get to. We will talk about um, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so let's get started. And we'll. And it, well, I saw it for the first time. Finished watching it less than an hour ago. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we all rewatched it this morning. Yeah, yeah. I saw. I also saw it in theaters, and then I saw it on Amazon. Then I saw it on a plane when I had a twelve-hour plane ride, and I was like, "Why did I pick watching this movie on a plane?" I'm like hysterically bawling at the end on a plane. So maybe not the best viewing platform. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think in this one we could, you know, kind of break it up a little bit um, since there are some kind of you know big reveals, and there are some yeah. moments at the end that. Um, could potentially be spoiled. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll start with kind of general thoughts, general outline of the movie. 
Uh, and then once we get back from our break, we will talk about it. Excuse me, more in depth. Uh, and yeah, just kind of get into the whole Spike Lee of it all. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spike Lee joint. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the movie is about uh, Ron Stallworth, who is a the first black police officer for the Colorado Springs Police Department. And it should be noted that we are recording this in Denver, right? Yeah. Yep. We are in the same, the home <laughs> We state. all live in Colorado. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, it's pretty much that's what the story is. He is assigned to, uh, like, the records room. And, you know, of course, this is, this is what year is this? I think they actually pushed it a little further than the actual time. That it was happening because um, I think this is like 1968. I want to say I could be wrong on that. I... Well, they placed this in the 70s. Okay, like I would say, like the early to mid 70s is when it takes place. I didn't see a, an exact year. Yeah, so it's based on a true story, but they've taken some liberties. And if we want to, we can talk about that. But I think we have enough to talk about just about the film itself. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, there's like one of the first scenes that we get is uh, you know his police uh, chief is. They're questioning him, asking him how, you know, he will deal with, you know, the... Well, it's funny because it's like the white one is like kind of like trying to put it in these like terms of like, well, like, if, should you like be on the job and, you know, and this, this and that. Arise. Yeah, and then kind of like uh, another... Uh, he, I'm not sure what... Is he the commissioner or something? Yeah, I think... And, I, I don't know what his role was, but it's Isaiah Whitlock. Yeah. He, he does, in the first 10 minutes of the film, do the Isaiah Whitlock. Yeah. She... <laughs> But yeah, it's like the the white police chief is like kind of trying to put it in this like dancing you know very around, like dancing around, and then like Isaiah Whitlock is just like so yeah. What are you gonna do if like a fellow officer calls you a nigger? Like yeah. what are you going to do? And it's like oh, like you think that might happen? And it's like, like yes, yeah. Like, have you heard of Jackie Robinson? Like have you heard of like any black person being the first black person to do, do anything? anything? Like that is what happens, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, and so, yeah, he very quickly is uh, a part of, is on the receiving end of that. He very quickly realizes just kind of what kind of a, you know, cesspool he's, he's dived into. into. <laughs> um, as, you know, one of the first things that happens is when anytime anyone comes down to the records room and they're looking for a black uh, perp, they call them toads. And uh, he starts to kind of like push back against that a little bit with like one particular asshole of a cop who... Uh, throughout this movie has, you know, some moments. <laughs> <laughs> some moments, I like that. Uh, and so, yeah, he pretty much pushes back against that and, you know, tries to get people to see the humanity of everyone because, you know, he's, as a black person, like, he's, he sees that, you know, he's on the receiving end of this. Whether or not they're directing it at him, it's still it's about still happening him. happening all the time. Yeah. 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 And I think the... I mean, I started making a list and then gave up of the amount of either racial slurs that are used in this movie oh, yeah. or kind of grotesque nicknames in all directions. And, it, it, you know, once you hit 40 of them, I stopped counting. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of constant and... And intentional. Yes, yeah. very much. This yes. is this is a Spike Lee joint. <laughs> like it's. But yeah. And we should also note for listeners who aren't from Colorado that, like, Colorado Springs is one of the most conservative towns in this state and like always has been. It's center of the United States Air Force Academy. It's a military town. It is very, very conservative. It's the mega church capital of the world. Yeah, it's also the home of focus on the family. Yeah. 
And so, yeah. That's yeah. a really specific context for how this is happening both in the 70s and today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where we, again, we can talk about this once we kind of get more into the movie because... I think we should jump in. Jump yeah. In. The, well, I mean, there's a whole lot in terms of, you know, like how much this still kind of tracks to today. You mean how our governor's race was between uh, one of the kind of finalist candidates was the grandson of the KKK founder. You mean that? Well, not, not a founder, but yeah, like yeah. a very, but prominent, a, a member. very prominent member of the Colorado. KKK yeah. Benjamin was. Stapleton, who was mayor of Denver in like the late thirties. And, and we still have a neighborhood named after him. Isn't that a great thing? Yeah. And uh, I think like last year there was some like edgy white dude who wanted to like, um, project birth of a nation on like the tower of staple on Stapleton tower. Like, in some weird, like half thought out, um, to encourage dialogue. About yeah, screening <laughs> it with no context yeah. in a particular neighborhood. Yeah. So yeah, it's things like that where this movie um, definitely takes that tack of showing that a lot of the language that they use, like when they talk about David Duke and how at this point he's trying to move into a more like more from like. The raging frothing at the mouth like hate speech to like more nuanced and subtled like Respectful, political maneuvering yes. yeah and uh, one of the things that uh um that ron says is you know like oh you don't think like anyone like david duke could ever become president and it's like obviously this very winking moment uh and then one of his uh fellow officers is like that's like pretty naive for like a black, a black man, man to say. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of those echoes throughout the whole film. Like there are people saying like, make America great. There's people saying America, America first. first. There's so much of what Spike Lee is doing in this film to show us like exactly where we are today and how it's so similar to like this time and the prevalence of the KKK being... I, I still can't really put words together because I, I finished watching it in an hour, like less than an hour ago. Like well, the, the America First scene, I think, is really smartly done. Again, this is like yeah, classic very, Spike Lee, where you have a room full of uh, Klan members ch chanting America First while it's panning across the staff who are, you know, like hosting the event and who are the caterers and the waiters, and they're all black, right? And then it gets to the final, um, you know, the last person in the pan who says, Ain't this a bitch? Yeah, yeah. I and, and I was no idea that that's what this and, and, and I loved that moment because it gave you like this moment of levity where like I like it actually made me laugh out loud after I was having to sit through this so much discomfort of the America First scene, and then right after he gives you that levity, he throws you right back into the discomfort because that's how Spike Lee does, and I love it. <laughs> Yes, and uh, I was, uh, I heard, I think it was this week that Spike Lee did an interview, maybe the 19th book, uh, I can't remember what today is, but he talked about the use of humor in the film, he, he was asked about it, and he was like, look, this started when Jordan Peele sent me the script and said, I'm going to pitch this to you in six words, right? Uh, black man infiltrates Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan, and that Spike Lee said the humor and rises out of the absurdity of this actually happening and that that's where a lot of the com comedy comes from is this quote-unquote crazy premise yeah right? and i mean we can talk about the use of humor in this film as both a disarming agent and a levity like a release of like oh gosh i can't take anymore oh i can laugh oh now i'm getting sucker punched right again yeah yeah uh, but yeah, so I don't think we actually explained that for anyone that hasn't seen it yet. So Ron Stallworth essentially um, becomes 
uh, or he calls, he finds a flyer for the KKK, calls the number on it, and that starts this long road down him becoming uh, a member of the, yeah, a member of the KKK, KKK, where he is the person who speaks to anyone on the phone, and his partner throughout this, uh, Flip, who is played by uh, Adam Driver, um, becomes like the in person like. The Ron Star, yeah, face. he becomes like the Ron Star for like in person, and you know because at the beginning Ron uses his real name, which is like you know a big no no, like a as an undercover, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and so yeah, um, Adam Driver uh, at Flip becomes the face of the operation while. Uh, Ron Stallworth, the actual Ron Stallworth, is the voice of the operation and kind of the brains behind it. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because the first thing that it starts with is, um, you know, he comes in and immediately says, you know, he wants to be an undercover detective. He wants to, like, that's where he wants to go. Uh, and he's very clear and open about it. And the first thing that they assign him to is actually going undercover to investigate the Black Panthers. And that was a really interesting choice. Um, I mean, it makes sense because, again, this movie decides to kind of call this out in terms of, okay, we see this is coming not only from the KKK in terms of, like, how racism is, like, very inherent to the system that we live in. Like, the police are, like, very clearly identifying. Yeah, yeah, they're identifying these people as black extremists and uh, let's see some of this uh, extreme rhetoric that they uh, have. Um, uh, black is beautiful. Um, uh, you must define beauty for black people. Um, all power to all the people. Like just such a radical <laughs> statement to you know put out there into the world of you know this. I mean, and in a world where it's very clear that they want there to be a hierarchy of who and who does not have power, like that is a radical statement, but at face value, it's just saying, oh yeah, like equality for everyone, like stop killing black people, like with like for no reason other than the fact that they're black, that that would be a great start. And that's seen as like black extremism. Yes, it's framed <laughs> that way, or the police believe it's that way. It's also, and that scene is so powerful for a bunch of reasons, but one of them, I think, you know, Spike Lee knows film history. He knows exactly what he's doing with every drop that he gives, uh, you know, or every mention. So he's talking about in the speech that, you know, the, that, you know, watching white Tarzan, quote unquote, kill the savages. Then he likens that to um, it would be like if the Jews were cheering for the Nazis, right? That the way in which film um, that we absorb these images and even when you know, logically, I mean, why would a black person be in favor of a white Tarzan killing other black people, right? But that it's so internalized. And yeah. About that internalized racism. Exactly. Via I, filmmaking. The, exactly. The institutional racism. Yes. Yeah. And internalizing. Well, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Internalizing it of like, yes, um, black people are trained to see themselves as less than like within like the like context of media. Like it is something that is internalized. It is something that, um, you know, it's why. Um, like skin lightening cream is like so popular in you know like a lot of African countries. It's why you know uh, you know people like for so long you know like wanted to like you know like have like the straightest hair and like why like natural hair is something that is like making like a huge resurgence right now is because so many people are wanting to push back against that and reclaim that narrative, reclaim what it means to be beautiful and outside of that context. Yes, and exactly that's what that scene is talking about, right? Is defining what is beautiful, right? He quotes a Nina Simone song. We have these close-ups on the these 
gorgeous, shimmering, beautiful, angelic close-ups of the audience kind of looking up to hear that maybe um, that definitions of beauty can be expanded and um, incorporate the black body. It's so, that scene to me is so powerful because it's so stylized. Right? Yeah, it's not it really is. It's not audience. actual shots. It's yes. in, like they're all lit so beautifully, and it's not even narratively doing anything by saying that. It's just giving you this symbolism, and it's so beautiful and so powerful and moving. Yes, and again, Spike Lee being able to oh. do so many different types of stylization within one yes. movie, right? So that's one type of stylization that he does, right? He breaks totally from kind of narrative reality of just showing shots of the crowd, but instead reframes these spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah, so after he... He goes to this speech, and then like right after, uh, he meets up with um, what's Laura Harrier's character, uh, Patrice? Patrice, Patrice. That's right. Yeah. Um, he meets up with her after, and you know, turns out that of course the police have like pulled them over on their way to taking uh, Kwame Ture, um, who was the speaker, back to his hotel, uh, and they uh, pretty much like verbally assault them. They physically and like sexually harass. Patrice and it's like one of those things where it's like oh yeah like what the fuck are you gonna do about it like you're not gonna say shit you're black you're like you, what, what does it matter and so like that's one of those instances where it becomes very clear to um, and I feel like it hits home with Ron a little bit harder as far as just how like vile some of the people that he's working with within the police force are and how deep that goes when yeah, it was not just one person that was there. It was multiple police officers who stood by, who engaged, and who made this happen. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, and that scene also sets up, again, another thread in the film, which is, um, like, where does change come from, right? And you have Patrice who's saying, look, you have to be a revolutionary. You have to stand outside the system and fight. And you have the char- versus the character Ron, who's very much, like, literally embedded in the system yeah. and is undercover in and, that system. And, well, yeah. and there's, there's this whole argument between them about if it's possible to change something from within. Yes. And that shows up in, again, many stylized scenes throughout the film. Yeah. yeah that discussion and that debate. Yeah. There's so many good things to talk about this movie. Where do you want to go next? I know. <laughs> I just want to talk about the what's a brilliant casting choice of Topher Grace as David Duke. Because oh. he just has this look and this feel. And then when they show footage of the actual David Duke at the end, you're like, he really does look like Topher Grace. And he does <laughs> sound like Topher Grace. And he plays this really kind of disarming version of this really hateful man that you kind of get to understand how people could fall for it. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's... I don't know if I talked about this in the last episode as far as uh, the Fire Festival documentary oh, and okay. sociopaths. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Again, we it's, talked about this. You guys watch yeah. different Fire Festival documentaries. But, yeah, watch both. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it's that, it's that thing with like, you know, like sociopaths, people like on the verge of that, like people within that spectrum who are very good at manipulation, who it's are charming, very good at like, yeah, being able to say the right words to the right people and yeah, bring people to their cause because they fill that void of like, in this case, like insecurity of, you know, like as we see with, uh, was like Ivanhoe and Felix, uh, you know, there's definitely like this like glaring sense of like, like insecurity and this like facade of like trying to like overcompensate with, 
you know, this like hateful rhetoric with like all of these things where it's this fear of, you know, if I, if these people have, you know, even footing, then like, where does that leave me? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so, and I would love to talk about, um, Connie, because yeah, that's oh that's boy. a spoiler. So do we want right. to move to this not the spoiler version? Should we take a break here? Yeah, we could do that, and then we'll be back. We'll, with, and we'll, yeah. we'll talk more There's specifics more because, <laughs> like, we've been holding shit back. <laughs> and we are back. And in full effect with Black Klansmen, we are going in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, before we left, we were, I was wanting to talk about Connie. The um, Connie yeah. yeah, who is uh, Felix's wife. He's kind of like the one of the more like virulent, like he's just kind of like out and out, just like can't even contain his like hatred. Yeah, point, he's, like, he's described by the chapter president of the KKK as a loose cannon. Yeah. And so um, Connie is his wife, and she is very eager and very willing to like be a part of this, um, despite like every... It reminds me of this article where um, that came out maybe last year, and it was talking about like women in the alt-right and how they were... Uh, experiencing misogyny imagine imagine misogyny within my racism like it's like that Reese's commercial like it's like it's like like that Reese's commercial like you got your peanut butter in my chocolate like oh you got your racist you got your misogyny in my racism like why can't us white women just be like seen as equals when we all hate black people as much as you do and and she very much embodies that mindset right as kind of distilling so much of the problems of white women into one character. And yeah. Spike Lee shows us that misogyny too, because there's like a scene where she's coming in doing the same hate speech and she's giving them, Oh, I made you guys some dip and all this stuff. And then they're like, all right, you're done. Like get out of it. Like they're like kicking her out of the room and everything. Yeah. yeah. She even brought, brings an article about Patrice and you know, then they start reading it, but yeah. you know, you need to go back to the kitchen lady. Yeah. She no, says, she... I'll be back in here. I'll be in here. <laughs> Someday you'll need me and I'll be in here. And she points to the kitchen. Yeah. Cause yeah, no, she's literally the one that like brings them this Intel as far as this. <laughs> and, and they're just like, okay, now you're done. And then she's literally the one who like plants the bomb. Yeah. At, and, and so, yeah, that's like this whole thing of, um, you know, again, we know within um, this world in 2016, uh, 53% of voting white women voted for Donald Trump. And it's one of those things where um, race as being the primary identifying factor for people who uh, are like at least trying to get proximity to whiteness because there are plenty of uh, are not plenty, but there are a number of, you know, people who are, you know, black, who are like, you know, out there trying to, you know, talk like these on these like conservative talking points. Mm-hmm. And it's just like none of this is like none, these, these people don't care about you. They don't. They're not out for your best interests. Like they'll, they're glad to put you on a platform to like spew their talking points so that way they can say we have one. Like, like <laughs> so obviously we can't be wrong because we have one on our side that's like telling you these things and that's all that you're there for. And it's just like so upsetting that so many people are like willing to um, 
again, go against their own self-interest, which, again, that's kind of, like, the whole thing of, like, you know, we see, you know, like, the, you know, poor white people who, like, thought that Trump was going to save their jobs and, like, you know, the coal mines and the steel factories and then turn around and, like, when the tax breaks came, they didn't see any of that shit. They didn't see any of it and they ended up losing their jobs anyway because even after those businesses, those CEOs got their tax cuts, they still were like, well, cool, I'm just going to save all this money for myself and still cut jobs. And so it's this whole thing of... um cognitive dissonance when it comes to like racism and when it comes to like white supremacy and hatred of you being so caught up in feeling superior that you're willing to work against your own self-interest to achieve that and dehumanize others and dehumanize yourself yeah Yeah. i think the character of connie is like so smartly done where at the beginning we see Oh, this is the non-spoiler version, right? Yes. So in the opening... This is spoilers. This is is in the spoiler (laughs) territory, so say whatever you want. Great. So at the beginning of the film, we see uh, two films, Gone with the Wind, which we can talk about in a second, um, that frames the opening of the film, and then Birth of a Nation. And there's... He, Spike Lee, intentionally shows the um, scene of Gus, a quote-unquote black man who's a white performer in blackface, chasing Lillian Gish's character, um, which was... Part of the um, uh, the path or the what am I trying to say here? The reason why people love Birth of a Nation so much uh, is that it really captured this fear of black bodies chasing white women, right? And yeah. that Lillian Gish's character chooses to jump off a cliff rather than be, you know, kind of captured by this black man. So that's in the opening. I don't know five minutes of the movie, and then at the end of the movie, we have Connie. Um, as she's being arrested, essentially, yelling, he's raping me, he's raping me, right? So she's enacting that fear of black bodies attacking white women. And then, you know, then the white cops show up and he's like, I'm an undercover cop. And they start beating him up. Yeah. All playing into that particular narrative that really powerfully was broadcast via Birth of a Nation being this broadcast film and showing how all of that still exists today. Yeah, right? and, and when the clan members are watching Birth of a Nation at their meeting, just the few clips that you see in this film of Birth of a Nation are so upsetting. Oh no, I was that enraged. It's, it's like hard to sit through. Yeah, so the, and again, the clips that Spike Lee chose were really smartly done. We have the kind of raping of a white woman terror. We have um, the scene where, which is totally not true, where like, a series of black men took over Congress, right? This historical history of black men taking over Congress. What? When did that yeah, happen? Right. I, right? What? <laughs> and, and then showing, again, the Klan racing in to save the day for white America, right? Very, very smartly picking the kind of uh, prevalent images from that film that still resonate in popular culture and in imag- popular imagination today. Yeah. And I think that... Uh, this movie does a really good job of also conveying the varying scales of how white supremacy is still upheld within, um, you know, we get like one of the first scenes where the chief, you know, says, uh, you know, I'll have your back, but only so much the way that this is going to be on you. And that's like one of those things where like, if that's not like one of the most like white liberal, like things that I've ever heard as far as like, Oh yeah. Like, solidarity like this this and that and it's like but when it comes to like calling out you know these racist things when you see them like it's like all of a sudden it's silence you know or like when it actually comes to like putting yourself on the line instead of like again like constantly we see that when it's issues that mostly affect black people that most of the people that 
usually end up showing up for those things are other black people. And you don't really get a lot of that visible support when it comes time to actually like put the cards on the table. And so that was a really interesting, like uh, one moment where it was just like, okay, let's call this out. Like, let's make this like clear let's and make it explicit. Yeah. And then at the end of the film during the Charlottesville, uh, during the uh, KKK protests on, um, or March on UVA campus, all the white people are yelling, white lives matter, white lives matter. And they intentionally show a white woman yelling back, uh, uh, black lives matter, black lives matter. As again, as a contrast for like, sometimes it, ha- sometimes it, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, that being a theme of, kind of playing out the intricacies of racism and the history of racism one thread at a time and being able to pull it through the whole movie. Yeah. Well, because it's like one of those things where it's like people say, oh, well, you know, I've never like used the N-word or I've never like, you know, done this or that. And then it's like, but they're also like, like have no problem with like, taking part in like gentrification or they you know still use rhetoric that's like oh like this neighborhood used to be like scary or think like things like that where it's like these subtle things where it's like a lot of times people don't even realize the language that they're using is very coded in like anti-blackness and in racism and it yeah it's blind spots where unless you're willing to like actually go into depth and educate yourself then yeah you're you're you're, you're, yeah you're like because you're yeah you're still with within a part of that system and for people who aren't familiar with uh denver there is a line about that uh, whatever the middle management cop is who's like what the fuck there are gunshots like you're gonna get me in trouble you're gonna get me sent to black uh uh, the five point yeah the historically black neighborhood right so yeah it it, it used to be used to be yeah we were talking about gentrification if we're like five points now is uh, uh, yeah yeah. full of like yuppies yeah Well, and then again, like further along that scale, uh, as far as um, Flip's character within this movie and, you know, people who come from like other like uh, classically like ethnic minorities within, you know, the country who have been discriminated against and still face discrimination, um, but still like present as white, can pass as white and how, you know, for so much of his life, he never thought about his Jewish heritage. And he has a moment where he realizes that, you know, like, oh, no, I've, I've just always just considered myself to be white until now I've been faced with all of this, like, constant and virulent hatred against Jewish people. And now that makes me have to think about my own heritage and my own rituals and the life that I've chosen to live this far. And it's it's one of those things where, like, again, that proximity to whiteness, even without necessarily um, intentionally doing so, is something that's, like, always strived towards within, like, the status quo of the system and yeah again yeah. this is another point that this movie makes is like being very clear <laughs> it's really in there. And there's two phenomenal scenes that describe it really well where um uh, ron's character says to flip like hey this is our business right as aligning him at you know taking saying as a jewish man like the kkk hates you just as much as he hates me this is our business yeah and then a later scene that mirrors it which in this beautiful shot it's a two shot of the two of them neither of them are looking at one another but flip set admits that you know what i have been passing if this is what you call passing this is what i've been doing my whole life right yeah and, and being able to have a character really acknowledge that there's also again so many Jewish slurs against Jewish culture like endlessly throughout it um and then I think the I, again a 
through line throughout the movie is that it's our business and uniting the struggles of black and Jewish Americans um, under white supremacy. I did uh, find it pretty hilarious, though, when Felix asked if his dick was circumstanced. Yes. <laughs> circumstanced. Hey, yeah, show me your dick. Don't they do something weird with their dicks? <laughs> and again, Ev, like, it's so such a terrifying, appalling moment that's undercut with this humor, right? Yeah. That both as a tension release and also, you know, the, the, the kind of cartoonish visions of, of the KKK members. Um, yeah, and then, again, just, like, the pervasiveness of this, uh, the KKK itself within this movie, uh, you know, they talk about how, uh, a few members are, like, like, top security clearance people at NORAD, NORAD and, like, like, very, like, established within, security. yeah, and, like, the guy where, uh, gets the C4 from, like, was, like, the Air Force Academy, or, like, the, uh, uh, no, it's the from, uh, Fort Carson, Fort Carson, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's like, yeah, all of these people who are like, yes, well ingrained within the system, like, you know, we have, have the power, have particular kind of power, particular kind of power to incite violence. Yeah. And we have like the other officer who, you know, I was, I was surprised or thought that at some point it was going to be, you know, he was going to be the person to kind of like expose this whole thing because I was like, he's got to be like in the clan, right? Like he's got to be, <laughs> he's got to be like in there. Um, and this is like the cop who like pulls over Patrice and uh, Kwame Ture and. Uh, yeah. So uh, Connie uh, embodies a particular kind of like white women that that character really represents a particular kind of poli like police violence. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, <laughs> I have a hard time believing that. I feel like that last end scene with him was definitely like just one hundred percent manufactured. The takedown of him. Yeah, I, feel, I just felt like completely manufactured to me because uh, there's like the other point too, where at the be like towards the beginning they're talking about him. They're like, oh yeah, he like killed a black kid. Like he said it was a gun, but he didn't have a gun. And he's like, well, and Ron's like, well, no one said anything. No one did anything. It's like, well, no, we're a family. It's like even if we're even if you're wrong, you know, we have to stick with each other. And, and then Ron says, well, that reminds me of some other people who think they're a family. Yeah. Referring back to the KKK, seeing themselves that way, right? And again, pointing out, calling it out as he sees it. And so I can see, you know, for the movie, like that scene being kind of like a payoff. Um, yes. It's one of those things where I, I, just, mm, I would love to know if there's some actual historical context <laughs> to that, if that actually happened, because... Of having a sting operation that catches the... Another you know, cop. Yeah. Catches a bad <laughs> cop. Yeah. Bad yeah. Cop, yeah. Well, I remember the first time I was watching that movie, and I saw it in the movie theater here in Colorado, and, you know, we're wa I'm watching it, I'm like, is Spike Lee really going to end this movie with this, like, and then oh, racism and, and was that, that gets to me about why I love Spike Lee and why I love this movie, because there's also this great moment where um, he's calling David Duke again, and he's telling, after he's been ordered to to be taken off of this case and to never contact the KKK again. He calls David Duke again and he reveals that he's the guy who did it, that he, <laughs> he's been talking to a black man this entire time. And it was such a triumphant moment. I was like, this is so great. I feel so good. And then Spike Lee takes us back into like, no, here's what I'm talking about at the end of the movie. And he shows us footage from that protest with the tiki torches. He shows us the like riots that happened. He shows us the guy running over people with his cart and says, no, like, 
this is serious. And this is still alive today, And it's right? exactly it, it, the same. And he shows this footage of Trump saying, like, there were fine people on both sides. And then David Duke saying, as Trump said. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's why Spike Lee is so good, because, like, a different filmmaker would want to leave us on a high note to want to have us walking out of the movie theater feeling good yeah and this is why i I feel like it might not win best picture is because the oscar voters love a good tale where gosh i'm so glad we solved that thing called racism and it was really through the like good work of people working together right and so he starts ending that way and then it's like nope yeah (laughs) nope and and good job vigo mortensen you solved racism oh god yeah and that's that whole trope of uh yeah like the white savior like where you know it's like oh well yes they're like racism is like you know this thing that like other people do but it's just a matter of me just like having a moment where you know if we're looking at like hidden figures right like knock down that bathroom sign or you what's know the, where i what's Sandra Bullock where she adopts the black Oh, oh, the blind, the blind side. side. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, oh, and it's, yeah, yeah, like, I would never have expected, like, Spike Lee to do anything like that. No, and... no yeah, that's what I was like, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for the, like, we're setting it up this way, and we're going to undercut it with reality. And I, just in that last five minutes, again, such use of stylization. So you have the split screens, you have um, uh, Patrice and Ron in their apartment kind of chatting, Right, and then into this very then a knock on the door, an ominous knock on the door. They both get out their guns, and then you have this stylized black exploitation style yes. pan down the hallway to a burning cross. Right, that, that this has not been solved. This is just around the corner. This is one knock on your door away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I I had to cut it off after that point in this this viewing of the movie because. I remember, watch the rest no, of it. I watched it in theaters and I was just like walked out of that theater so just fucking enraged, like just like tears in my eye, like fury yeah. in my heart. Yes. Like I just I couldn't I couldn't watch that again. Like um oof. Yeah. Uh yeah. And, and that that's why it's so powerful and that's why we need to be talking about movies like this and we need to be making more movies like this. Yeah. Like, to being like honest about this issue. Like it's Well yeah, and it's it's one of those things where Again, this is something that, um, you know, as a black person, like, I, like, live with that very real, like, like, threat kind of, like, having to look over. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And it's something that I feel like is constantly a burden that's put on black people where we're, we're constantly having to, like, tell and teach. And it's like, at some point, it's like, it's gotten, you know, better as far, you know, there's definitely, like, people who are taking that effort to, like learn there are people who are taking that on themselves to not constantly like be like well like tell me what to you know do or tell me what to, it's like like educate yourself like learn for yourself and then once you do that like then we can like open up a broader dialogue because if the entire thing has to start with like constantly like reteaching like people the same thing then like nothing's ever going to move forward because we're just going to keep having to rehash the same things that we deal with all the time and I think that that's where kind of like that throwing it all out there and like with people who have that platform, you know, Spike Lee is able to do that with his movies so well where it's like, yeah, you can watch this movie and you can, if I, 
if this is if you're feeling some kind of way about it after watching it, like go out there, do like take that next that. step, yeah, and like <laughs> and yeah, do something with that. And instead of like, yeah, where you know where you get a lot of movies who are very often done by you know white directors, white writers who are talking about these movies that have to do with race and because like they're like well we want to talk about race but at the end like we still want to feel good about ourselves and that's yes. not something that like um i feel like um boots riley with sorry to bother you does a really good job of doing that at the end where uh this like very very incisive critique of capitalism like doesn't let off it never lets off and then at the end it's like nope we're <laughs> yep. we're not gonna leave you like with a happy-go-lucky feeling it's like weird and uncomfortable and like sit in that like think on that yeah and, and spike lee starting this film with gone with the wind with birth of a nation with these really i don't even want to say problematic but straight up racist films <laughs> in the history of filmmaking and inserting himself as he knows his own role in the history of cinema now right and ending with contemporary footage that people have seen on YouTube that spreads everywhere. Not necessarily. Contemporary footage from the news. Yes. Yeah. News footage. It is not fictionalized versions of this, but the news itself. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. And yeah. It is phenomenal to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Just a master filmmaker, like really saying something. And, um, yeah, <laughs> we were kind of talking before about, um, you know, kind of like the, trolls and you know the you know <laughs> the assholes in their parents basements and you know that you know population of the cesspool of the internet and uh i feel like that again is very like when you think about the whole thing of like um the imagery that they show from uh birth of a nation the um emphasis on the them calling themselves knights of like the Ku Klux Klan, the titles where it's like these fantastical terms of, or the like, Grand Wizard, yeah. and it's like and it's it's like these are like those people like sitting in their fucking parents' basement, like oh absolutely, and like it's it, and they think that they're like the victims of this like you know grand scheme to like you know keep them from like from what they are told by society what they are told by media they deserve and have a right to and it's just it leads to like this like this greater thing which is why it still hasn't gone away like that that's never been addressed there was an article in esquire and it's the profile of the american boy and it's this young conservative he's around 16 17 i didn't actually read the article because i saw enough about it to, <laughs> to get the gist it. of it that's just like it's so hard being a white young man in america in this me too era in this era of quote-unquote wokeness where we have to respect people's humanity you know it's <laughs> and acknowledge our own power yeah. yeah and like one of the quotes that i did see from the article was the kid was saying i just feel like anything that i say i'm like pissing people off it's like well maybe don't say those things or just <laughs> maybe don't say anything like, yeah look at what it is that you're saying <laughs> yeah maybe, like examine a little bit yeah and and so that's how we get when we have major publications doing profiles on people like this instead of you know but it takes so much more for any black person to get any sort of recognition in any way they have to pretty much cure cancer or you know <laughs> become you know serena williams who's still who's like still yeah to the, endlessly like, subjected yeah yeah <laughs> and so i just 
it's it's tiring. It's exhausting to constantly have to like manage with this and see these things where this this system is just so pervasive and it just feels like it's not going anywhere. Yeah, and I think the scene in the movie that for me really like it, it's the shift when things stop being funny anymore, right? It's where the comedy goes away for the next the rest of the film essentially is when um uh, uh, Harry Belafonte is kind of describing the lynching. The lynching. Oh my God! Saw. Yes, and we're juxtaposing this with the the clan meeting. Yeah. Ceremonies, oh my right? God! And there, I think that that's where Spike Lee is like, okay, great. You want to have that Esquire profile on the clan induction? Well, I'm going to counter that with Harry Belafonte, like telling it how it is, right, and being able to do both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And they bring in eugenics. Like, he really kind of covers so much complicated ground. Oh, and I looked up the guy that they were talking about, William Shockley. He's, like, buried in some, like, very prestigious, like, memorial uh, cemetery or whatever with, like, you know, Steve Jobs is in the same place. And it's, like, all these other, like, very high profile. He won a Nobel Prize. And, yeah, he was, like, a eugenicist. (laughs) And this is, like, the system that we live in where... Where maybe awards are not given for reasons that there's problematic awards given. Yeah, or even where it's like, oh, well, it's never acknowledged that the opportunity, all of the things that they're able to get because of their whiteness are because of their whiteness. And when those same people are revealed or never even revealed because this guy seemed to be pretty open about it. Like... Like they still receive recognition and people like to, you know, kind of sweep it under the table or, or just kind of ignore it. And yeah, it's, it's. And yet again, Spike Lee's calling that out. Yeah. Right? He's calling it for how he sees it. Not just he, but how a lot of people see it, but it's his film. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you guys, yeah, what do you, what do you got for oh now? I've just, I've just got one little levity Colorado inside thing. He says that he can, he, he's from Pueblo and he can, it's a straight shot of I-25 to get to the Springs in an hour. You cannot get from the Springs to Pueblo yeah. in an hour. <laughs> yeah, no, like Denver to the Springs is an hour. <laughs> yeah, from, from the Springs to Pueblo is at least an hour and a half, probably two hours. Just checking that real quick. Yeah, I, I think, it's just generally and I've said this before but I think it bears repeating that this film really both engages with the history of racism but then also the history of the depiction of the history of racism right and that taking these two central films that still reverberate today as part of the justification for white supremacy and being able to pick them apart at each step and kind of add nuance and complexity in his own film knowing that this is going to be added to as a, a response to this history of image making. He knows what he's doing yeah. he, and, and does it very, very intentionally and strategically at each turn. Even calling out the last picture show, right? Like yeah. calling out Tarzan, ta- having that, uh, again, stylized scene of the two of uh, Patrice and Ron talking about black exploitation films and you know whether or not these are positive or negative types of imagery, intercutting that with um, the posters for these black exploitation films, or this odd technique that he uh, also uses in um, the film version, uh, sorry, the TV version or the serial version of um, She's Gonna Have It, of you know having the album cover show up in the middle of a scene to highlight um, kind of the culture that they're referencing yeah. in, in the shots. 
Well, yeah. Do you have our usual stats? Uh, it has going? a 7.5 on IMDb. That is too low, but that's because anybody can rate a movie on IMDb. Uh, <laughs> it has an 83 Metacritic, uh, 95 Rotten Tomatoes, and an 82 Rotten Tomato uh, Audience Tomatoes. Uh, going back to what we were talking about, how you know Joe Blow moviegoer wants everything to be happy when the movie is over. They don't want to come out of a movie feeling angry or feeling challenged or feeling upset about like the thing that they've been presented, and so. And for once, I looked up stats because again, we're doing this. We're recording this a week before the Oscars, so according to Vegas betting odds, Best Picture is twenty-one to one odds, uh, but Best Director is twelve to one, and that's actually the best odds out of all of the directors. I would be interested to know, like, who Vegas is picking right now as the lead for Best Picture. I don't remember. I, it was not Green Book. I know that. Okay. <laughs> Good. I think it was Roma. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would be okay with Roma winning this picture. Oh, yeah. That's another whole thing, too, of, yeah, uh, yeah, Lisa, uh, the actor in that movie, she's been on the receiving end of some racism within the last, like, couple weeks here. Uh, because, again, like, whiteness is something that is globally pervasive and white supremacy along with it. And, yeah, she's uh, a woman of indigenous heritage. And there are, yeah, people who are, there because... Spaniards were European and so many of them were white <laughs> and so there are people who like have that heritage and still are in South America and Mexico and Central America and uh, yeah white supremacy is still a thing there as well <laughs> and I'm going to turn that quote that they use in the movie of film uh, calling Black of a, uh, Birth of a Nation also originally titled The Klansman um, is as history written with lightning. So I would say that this film, Black Landsman, is history rewritten with lightning. Yeah. Well, that will sum us up for Black Landsman. And when we come back, we will have some recommendations for you. Are you still there? If you are, you should just click that follow button. Go ahead and do it. Follow us. Rate us. Review us. <laughs> All right. Well, we are back here with some recommendations, and we will kick it off with Colin this week. What do you got for us? Uh, I'm going to say uh, there is an excellent episode of Sawbones on eugenics, uh, where Dr. Cindy McElroy debunks the pseudoscience of eugenics with her very funny husband Justin McElroy. Um, if you enjoyed the performance of Paul Walter Hauser, who plays Ivanhoe in this movie, he plays a very similar character in I Tanya. He plays oh, this yes. kind of buffoonish guy who <laughs> thinks he's a big deal. Um, but my main recommendation will be a brand new podcast. Um, if you like uh, Mission to Zix, there is a new podcast on Stitcher uh, called Voyage to the Stars. It is also a improvised uh, sci-fi comedy podcast so uh it's only one episode so far but i very much enjoyed the pilot episode so uh, check out voyage to the stars on stitcher very nice awesome. uh sure yeah um so i know last week i was you know saying go out and support some black people so i've got some specifics for you Yay! this week yeah. <laughs> uh so in the music realm we've got uh tmar she is great. She's uh, got a very, like, nice kind of, like, nasally register. And she's got, like, some real cool, like, jazzy kind of um, 
jazzy kind of notation, but it's also uh, still kind of hits with like really cool like pop elements. Um, and she has a couple of songs. Uh, one was really it's they're like they're hilarious. They're insightful. They're deep. They're amazing. I love them. And I became instantly obsessed with her. Uh, one of them is called Hori Heart. And it's like she dropped it on Valentine's Day, and it's essentially a song about like cheating men, and it's great. <laughs> um, as far as comics, let's see. We've got uh, Vida Ayala. Uh, they are a, a non-binary identifying author who is has written uh, Submerged, Livewire, and The Wilds. I um, have not read The Wilds yet, but I need to get it. I'm pretty sure it's out on trade paperback now. Uh, so check them out. Uh, we've also got Nettie Okorafor. Uh, she is an African futurist author uh, and has written such titles as Binti and is currently writing uh, Shuri for Marvel, uh, which is a, a solo comic for uh, the sister of the Black Panther, T'Challa. Uh, and also in the comics realm, I've got a lot of comics here because, you know, I like comics. <laughs> uh, Eve Ewing, who is currently writing Ironheart, um, and that is about Riri Williams, who um, was she's kind of like legacy Iron Man, uh, Iron Man's like legacy, and so she is um, writing that series, which is pretty awesome. There was one more that I was thinking of, and I can't remember right now, but I'll shout it out if I can remember it. But um, yeah. Go out and support these people, stream music, buy books, read comics, do all of the things. Do all Find the things. them. <laughs> okay, I'm going to follow all of your recommendations. <laughs> all sounds totally awesome and fascinating. <laughs> oh, uh, I've got a podcast too. Uh, Megasheen is a really awesome podcast that is uh, two black queer men who um, we, they've got, they're funny on Twitter, they're very insightful. Um, they talk pop culture, comics, video games, movies, television. Um, it's kind of like a general culture podcast. Uh, and those guys are pretty awesome. So check them out as well. Again, thank you. That's what I'll be doing this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in my typical, if you like this film, you might like these other films. And I'm just going to talk about the films of Spike Lee because like, he has such a wonderful and marvelous uh, history of filmmaking himself. So. Um, uh, Do the Right Thing is if uh, uh, Gone with the Wind and Birth of a Nation are quote-unquote classics in film history, Do the Right Thing is now a new classic in film history. So I'm not going to talk about all that much. Just watch it. <laughs> Some of his lesser-known works that I want to um, highlight are Bamboozled. Um, so this is a film about um, a black man who's performing in blackface and is about the history of minstrel... minstrel min, minst Why can't I say this word? Minstrelry, there we go. Why do you have trouble saying it? Um, and it really, similar to Black Klansman, uses un uneasy humor um, throughout the film, and then there's a very specific point where it stops being funny anymore, right? That you're laughing, mm -hmm. you're laughing, you're laughing, and then this emotional wrenching point where no one's laughing anymore. If you can see it with a theater, I highly recommend it because it's this palpable moment when people stop laughing, especially white people stop laughing. Um, I also want to say that, uh, you know, in the thinking of Spike Lee is constructing history, that his um, narrative biopic of Malcolm X 
Um, and then on the nonfiction side uh, is his documentary, his four-part documentary series on Hurricane Katrina called When the Levees Broke, which is uh, amazing, powerful, and kind of unearths uh, and brings forward a lot of the history and racial complexity that other works about um, Hurricane Katrina perhaps overlook. Um, and then lastly, uh, if the only thing you got away from this, took away from this movie is uh, Spike Lee's storytelling power, is to, you can also see The Inside Man. I fucking love that movie! <laughs> yeah. So it's a heist film starring Jodie Foster uh, and Clive Owen, Christopher Plummer, a bunch of... A bunch and of Denzel movies. Washington. And Denzel Washington, <laughs> yes, thank you. But um, yeah. if, if you're looking for Spike, so Spike Lee documentaries, Spike Lee doing kind of a heist film... He's done some musicals. He's really... Uh, that, that actually reminds me of another recommendation. Um, if you want to hear uh, reviews of a lot of Spike Lee stuff, um, there's a podcast called Denzel Washington is the Greatest Actor of All Time, period. Um, it's like two black comedians, or one of them is a film critic and a black comedian, and they just go through all the films of Denzel Washington. Uh, but they also do some Spike Lee stuff. They So Malcolm X being one of the most important ones. Mm-hmm. So. Well, very nice. Thank you all for those recs. Go out and listen, watch, read all of those things. Do it. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that will wrap us up for this episode. You can find us online. We are on the Twitter sphere at IWITWT. We are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash IWITWT. Wherever you're listening to us, please subscribe. Follow, like, and review. If you've got a review feature, please leave us five stars. Let us know what you think. You can always send us messages on Facebook or, well, yeah, Facebook yeah, you can or send Twitter. Us messages on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Either works. Those you can DMs, recommend a movie to us. Those we'll DMs watch, are open. We'll watch and review a movie you want us to watch. Yeah. Uh, you can find both Colin and I online individually. I am at Catharticus. I am at Colin Munch. And thank you so much for listening. If you have anything to say to Tara, you can say it to us. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Goodbye.